Welcome to the Baseball STL Podcast. J.J. Bailey with you. Chris Raby joins me from Port St. Lucie, Florida. Cardinals taking on the Mets. Uh, apologies for the brevity of this episode and also possibly the sound quality. We are recording in the press box up here in Port St. Lucie. No internet. Uh, no way to set up a, a little mini studio. So we're... Uh, the technological genius that is Chris Raby has rigged up a, a setup on his phone, so we're going to burn through a couple topics here. This is what it's all about. This is this is uh, this is bootleg baseball podcasting right here, bootleg casting. But uh, Chris, we'll start it off. Uh, obviously, big big news this week uh, and this morning. Johnny Peralta has surgery to repair his torn thumb ligament in St. Louis. Prognosis not a hundred percent clear, but team feels comfortable floating that ten to twelve week window. Um, obviously, this is, this is a, a huge blow to a team that finally seemed like they were going to be 100% healthy. It is, and more than anything, J.J., I think defensively is where you're going to feel it. And when Johnny Peralta signed, I'm not sure that we said, all right, if this guy is as good as advertised, which I think he has been, uh, despite the slow second half last year, we're going to miss him most as his defense. But, you know, by just about everything, the eye test, the metrics, he's been really good over the last two years for the Cardinals. I think that in the immediacy, if you're looking at Jed Jerko or Latimus Diaz as replacements, you feel like, you know, if those guys stay healthy, you can, especially with Jerko, I think, get similar offensive output, especially compared to what Peralta did the second half of last year. Uh, weighted runs created. Some of the advanced numbers suggest that Jerko, although not necessarily taken into account the rigors of playing shortstop every day, he can give you something close to Peralta. We've seen what Aledemus Diaz has done in a very small sample size, but it's defensively. For two guys that have never been full-time Major League shortstops, that's kind of where I think the questions start to creep in. Yeah, you know, we, I talked about this a little bit in a piece I wrote earlier in the week. You know, Jerko played, I think, something like 29 games at shortstop when, uh, in, in his career. Obviously, Diaz has never touched the majors yet. Um, I think the edge defensively probably goes to Diaz at this point just because that's been his natural position for so long. Uh, Mike did say, you know, his arm looks a lot sharper. The ball comes out, carries a lot smoother. Uh, the glove work looks better. All around, athletically, he looks more uh, in tune with himself, which I think is something that he's going to be shaking off. Uh, you know, he had some time off in Cuba, and then now, obviously, as he's, you know, maturing into 25, 26, mid-20s there, he gets a good sense of his mechanics and how he works. But I think you're right. Jed Jorko is the closest thing the Cardinals have to replacing a Johnny Peralta power threat in the lineup. Now, his, his batting average is not as consistent. His OBP is not something like 38 points, I think, career-wise, lower than Peralta. So he's not, he's not at the exact same profile of a hitter. But if you need a guy that can launch a ball out of the stadium, that's what Jed Jorko gives you. And that's what's really tough to replace. I don't think people realize how good offensively Peralta was compared to other shortstops in the National League. Uh, he was number one or number two in batting average, in home runs, in on base, in slugging. So, I mean, he, he is – one of the best hitting shortstops not only in the National League but in baseball, and that's going to be a big hole to replace. Defensively, I think you can get by. I think in baseball now, a average mitt but an above-average bat profiles a whole lot better than the inverse of that. So here's my question. If the question marks about both guys is that neither of them have done it, and again, I don't want this to sound cliche or oversimplifying it, but I think there's something more to playing shortstop every day and playing second base. All right, we can agree on that. So we're so quick to jump to who replaces him full-time. Is it Jerko? Is it Diaz? Could both of those guys almost platoon at shortstop 
and also still fill the super sub role? Do you need one of them to play every day at shortstop? If both of them make the team, if both of them look good out of spring training, can you kind of mix and match a little bit? It would take some creativity, but almost use both of them like you were going to use Jed Jerko at the beginning of the year while factoring in that you're going to need to get a start at shortstop every day. Yeah, and let's not forget Greg Garcia. He can still factor into this kind of a utility role. He figured to make this 25-man roster out of camp, probably. He was, he was uh, you know, campaigning for that super, super sub role. Um, but, yeah, I think between the two of them and the three of them, let's say, let's say that Diaz is good enough to break camp, then it's maybe Diaz knocks Garcia out of the running. But certainly with Garcia and Jorko or Jorko and Diaz, there's no reason to think that you can't mix up the starts, you know, give Colton Wong a day off, Jorko goes to second, Diaz or Garcia goes into short. I think what you're going to get a lot of this is how long can you kind of – I don't want to say keep the boat afloat because I don't want to do these guys a disservice, but how long can you – get by with Peralta out and let's say that he that 10 to 12 weeks projects about right let's say he's back in mid-June do you if you're John Mazalock and you're Mike Matheny feel like you have a, a combination that can get you by until then until you get a full-time shortstop back I would say with Jorko's power their ability I mean these guys are major leaguers they can they can play the position they need the time and it is a unique combination of both range and arm strength but if they can get by to do that I don't think there's any reason why a combination of any of those three pieces could not get you through to June without losing, without falling off a cliff. And without giving up a significant piece, I don't think you're going to get anyone right now that's going to be better than those two guys or much better than really replacement level. Peralta. What are you going to do with that person when Peralta comes back? If he's better than Jorko and Diaz and Garcia, how are you going to relegate him to the bench when Peralta comes back? That's a really tough piece to find. But again, it takes creativity, and um, it's something that you'd have to be really conscientious of. I, I just think it's, and, and again, I, I love what Diaz projects to be and kind of what he comps to be and, and do like him defensively. But, you know, for a dude that played 14 games at AAA last year, uh, has had injury issues in the past, I think right now where we stand, maybe it's different at the end of March, but I think right now where we stand, it's a little bit of a leap to say that he could play shortstop every single day. Yeah, I think, I mean, he was not at least not on my board, I don't know about yourself, he wasn't top of the list to as a candidate to break camp with the major league team. He profiled the way he ended the year, did very well in his 14 games. He's going to play every day in Memphis. That was probably the best fit for him because as he finds some momentum, you want to give him the steady work that allows him to develop. You, you break camp, you put him on the bench, he's not getting the steady at-bats. He's not getting the steady play in the field. So this, I mean, he definitely to me was somebody that was – going to shine maybe in camp, but needs that everyday work in Memphis. So I think it is a bit of a leap to say that he's going to be a major league shortstop coming out of camp. I think Jed Jerko was, and let's not forget, they're paying him. You know, I think the Padres took some of that money, but they're paying him north of $20 million. You went and signed that guy so he could play. This is the window. You know, he's not a backstop, backup shortstop necessarily in how he profiles, but this is the window for why you signed Jed Jerko is we need power protection in the infield, and that's what he's here for. No, no, I agree. I agree. And, again, I guess if you're looking at the glass half full, it's that uh, Peralta wasn't all that good in the second half last year and down the stretch, and you were still, whatever it was, 15 games above 500 over the All-Star break. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and, and part of the reason he had, he had that drop-off is overwork. I mean, that's why Jorko was signed. That's why Garcia and Diaz were talked about a lot this winter, because they needed to get the middle of the infield some rest. Johnny Peralta went out, and Mike said it a couple times here in spring, he went out 
uh, because he had to on days where he really could have used a day off, but the team needed him. Um, so this is, you know, if you're doing silver lining, even Peralta at 80%, 70% was good enough to, to get you an NL Central uh, a championship. And if you, Jed Jorko at 100% could, could do better than that, perhaps. And I think double silver lining, this is rest for a guy in Peralta who has had quite a bit of work over the last couple of years. He gets some, I mean, it's not, he's, he's got a torn thumb ligament, but he sure is getting a lot of rest on those legs. You just went hashtag double silver lining. I did. I double silver lined it. Here on Bootleg Podcast, I double silver lined it. Johnny Peralta, um, who's, you know, mid-30s, obviously a guy that everyone thought would wear down long before this. Um, You buy him a couple extra months in his knees and his back and his arm. Um, You know, he's going to have to work to get back. But this is like bonus rest. This is like Adam Wainwright said. His his, his arm took the year off last year, and, and it can only help him. So uh, what's, what's, where are we at here? I think we probably got to wrap it up for Bootleg Podcast. Are we good? Oh, we're, oh, we're rolling. Okay. There's a, there's a strict time limit on the Bootleg Podcast. Because I'm sorry. I'm calling a game. I know. Chris Raby going to be on the radio calling the Mets game. Very excited. You can stream that on Cardinals.com. Uh, another thing that we're looking at here, uh, Jaime Garcia. We're proceeding through spring training without ever talking about Jaime Garcia. Um, you know, no, no talks of uh, major injury for him. Really, the pitching staff... Seems to be 100% healthy. Um, that's, that's, to me, a huge storyline that doesn't really get talked about because when Peralta has to have surgery, you have to do that. But I think another one that's, that's dominating the news cycle is Matt Holliday at first base. Yeah, and, you know, last year I didn't think there was any way over the course of a season that you could implement him in. I know people kind of drew that conclusion when he was trying to come back from the quad, figured that it would be safer to put him at first. Granted, it was on the base paths that he ended up tweaking it again, but... You know, we've seen how much work it goes into changing position. And for a guy that's never played a single inning outside of left field at the major league level, came up as a third baseman or whatever out of college, we've seen how much it takes. And it's not just, you know, getting over to the base and receiving a throw. I think most competent major leaguers could do that. But it's, you know, the footwork when the ball's not coming to you. It's where to go for a cutoff. It's where to go for a bump play. It's where to back up when there is a play at third or when there's a play at home. And... He's been really impressive. Granted, two games, hasn't seen a whole lot of action, but where I've been most impressed is the work that he's put in on the backfield. And again, in controlled drills, so take it with a grain of salt, but whether it's cut plays, bunt plays especially, he's looked pretty good, and it just gives the Cardinals another wrinkle. In a perfect world, I think Matt Adams and Brandon Moss hit left-handed pitching well enough, either one or both, that you don't need to have Holiday at first, but... If Tommy Pham plays well, um, it gives you an option to stack the lineup with righties against lefties. That's where the Cardinals have really, really struggled. And if you get to a situation where you feel comfortable in a major league game with Matt Holliday at first base, um, you know, it would give you an option to put him at first, to put Pham in either center or left, Grichuk in either center or left, and Piscotty in right, and really, really go right-handed heavy and get Adams or Moss out of the lineup and onto the bench. And it gives you a defensively superior outfield. I mean, that's all young, all good speed, good arms out there. Not to say that Holiday doesn't doesn't have a good arm, but obviously defensively in left field, Tommy Pham's going to have better range at this point in their career. So it allows you to, whoa, it's baseball time here in Port St. Lucie. But it allows you to stack the lineup with righties, improve your defense, and, and possibly prevent further injury to Matt Holiday because that's a guy that doesn't have to cover nearly as much ground. Obviously, there's stretching. This is incredible, by the way. Bootleg podcast. 
Welcome inside the orchestral studio of MLB. <laughs> but I think it'll it could help him avoid some of the injury that comes with having to cover a lot of ground in left field. Now I think we're going to be drowned out by this uh, the festivities here. Chris, I thank you for joining me. We'll get a little bit of longer one out maybe maybe tonight, tomorrow, sometime this week. Uh, thank you for listening to the Dave Sinclair Baseball SDL podcast. We will see you again shortly.